All right, we are in 1 Corinthians and we are in chapter 7. Please turn there this morning. The church in Corinth was, I guess you could kind of call them somewhere between toddler and teenager. If you were going to relate them to, to an age group. Paul led them to the Lord. He fed them with milk. Get them started getting them up and getting them going. But we're not supposed to stay in that toddler stage. We're supposed to grow up and we're supposed to mature. And he said he couldn't do that at the beginning because they, were, they really weren't ready. But he had anticipated them maturing and growing. So he says, I couldn't tell you all the deeper things of the Lord and the things that you needed to know because you were just not ready. But he says, even now, you're not ready. So um, they're having some trouble. They're having trouble with things. They're blessed. God's given them many gifts and many talents. But they're just not responding in a loving, caring manner. We've talked about that. We've talked about some of those things. But one of the things he's going to be dealing with this morning is whether it's better to be, to be married or whether it's better to be single. And, and I, I won't go into that right this minute. But that's one of the things they're dealing with. They've come to know the Lord now. And when you came to know the Lord, God began to convict you of certain things, right? And things that you maybe had to put away and things you, sh- you needed to get squared away, things you needed to do right. Well, them being as immature as they are, they're trying to figure out, should I, you know, should I get a divorce so I can serve the Lord? Should I just put away, you know, my spouse so I can serve the Lord? And uh, Paul's going to tell them how to be able to deal with those things in an appropriate manner. And I thought of a a story I heard. We had our little granddaughter over for the weekend. That's why I look tired. But I was thinking of this story. There was a little uh, granddaughter who asked her grandpa. She said, Grandpa, you treat grandma so sweet. You call her honey. You call her darling. You call her sweetheart. How, How have you managed all these years to be able to keep that fire burning? And he says, well, sweetheart, he says, I forgot her name five years ago, and I'm afraid to ask her what it is. If you're married, you know it's work. And people, even today, still have to deal with that setting. If you're single, you think, man, I, I, need, I need somebody, you know, I need a spouse, and uh, I've been around long enough to watch people change churches to try to find that spouse. I'm not saying that that's wrong if God is leading them there, but if it's just to find that spouse, usually it, <laughs> it's a disappointment. And I've also seen people who think that, you know, get that, getting that married is, is going to be perfect. And then you have people who, who are married that think, Sometimes I've heard this. I've never thought this, of course, that it would be better to be single. You wouldn't have those things that you have to deal with and uh, the responsibilities that you have in being married. So this does apply to us today. Let me give you a little bit of background before we hop into this. And in our last teaching, verses uh, chapters five and six, we looked at the church's obligation 
And I say obligation intentionally because it is the church's privilege, but it's also the church's obligation to deal with sin in the church. You don't hear about it as much anymore because there are so many churches that are so close together that if there's sin in the church, they just go to another church. A lot of times there is no, um, cor- I shouldn't say correction because sometimes there is correction, but sometimes there's no repentance. It's just, well, if they're going to give me a hard time here, I'll just move over here. We won't tell them anything. And uh, So... It used to be that those kind of sins were dealt with. They were called. You know, Scripture told us you go to the person individually. If that doesn't work, you take a witness. If that doesn't work, you bring it to the, to the church, and on and on and on. And uh, as I said in the last te- teaching, when you bring it to the church, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to end up being a Sunday morning thing where you go, this is, this, these people are in sin. Sometimes it can just be handled amongst the leadership. And the whole time it's meant to try to bring them into a proper relationship with Jesus. Not to humiliate, not to hurt. But Paul says to to not have anything to do with them, to count them as a tax collector or a heathen, you know, because they're not listening to the Lord. And the Lord has spoken to them many times, and they've been spoken to many times, but nothing has happened with that. So Paul said that you have the power within the church to disfellowship someone if they will not repent. And we talked about the sins of omission and the sins of commission. We talked about being human and uh, we are sinners. We're born into sin. We're born in a sinful world. And so there's going to be certain things that we do that are sins of omission because we're people. But we talked also, excuse me, about the sins of commission. And those are the ones that we commit willingly. We know we're doing it. And we felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit tell us not to do it. But we do it anyway. Scripture refers to that sometimes as practicing sin. Um, God forgives all of us no matter who we are, what our background is, no matter what's gone on in our life. When we give our life to him, he can wipe that clean. But if we continue on in the sins, it, uh, it says something about our relationship with Jesus. And as I shared with you guys, I've seen through the years, somebody will come in and they're so concerned about their sin. That's all they think about. And what do you think they're going to do if they're thinking about it all the time? They're going to sin and probably sin more. And, and I always advise them, just fall in love with Jesus more. Spend more time with Jesus. The more time you spend with him, the more you're going to feel that that doesn't fit anymore because you're going to develop a relationship with Jesus that's extremely sweet. And those things are going to take away from that. They're going to subtract from that. And you're not going to want that. You're going to want that close relationship. So just falling in love with him makes all the difference in the world. First Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for the judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We've watched over the last few years some very large fellowships and very famous pastors fall. And in most cases, when you talk to the leadership or you talk to the people, they saw signs. They saw signs. They saw it was there, but they didn't confront. Or if they did confront, 
the, the pastor was too proud and arrogant thinking that the church was all about him that he didn't repent. And so eventually that all came out. And when that all comes out, instead of one person having to deal with their sins and getting right with God so that the church could be blessed, it destroys the whole church sometimes. Just completely destroys the church. Okay, so now we're getting back to that old question, is it better to be married or is it better to be single? Now, please understand we're not going to get a definitive word. We're not going to get a definitive word here from God that says, boom, this is better. But there are a lot of other chapters in, the, in books in the Bible that deal with this. So if you're seriously interested in building a stronger marriage, there's a lot that God can give you throughout the word of God. So somebody had sent a letter and told Paul some things were going on in the church. In Matthew 13, 52, it says, He then said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructing concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out good from his treasure, things new and things old. Right? He brings things out. So Paul is sort of acting as a scribe here. He's going to be bringing out the things that need to be brought out, some of them old, some of them new, but it's all for the sake of us growing. Now, I don't know about you guys, I can only speak for myself, but I need the Bible to spank me once in a while. I, I need it to. If, if we go to a fellowship and it's all positive all of the time, I guess it depends on how you define positive, but if it's all just stroking egos and saying, hey, you're wonderful, everything's great, you're, you know, you're awesome, that's necessary too. But there has to be times when there's that introspection where you go, I can do better. I've let a, I've let a few things slide. And, and I need to draw closer to the Lord. Well, Paul is the father, if you will, of this church. And he's doing everything he can do to try to encourage them. And some of this stuff, no doubt, hurts. It's going to hurt to hear some of this stuff. It's going to hurt the man who's been caught in sin. It's going to hurt the people who have to confront that individual. I don't know of anybody here who likes confrontation. I mean, I would say there's probably some type A folks here who don't mind confrontation, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about liking it, thriving on it. Oh boy, I can't wait to sit down with them and tear their head off, that kind of a, kind of a thing. We don't like to do that. Even as parents, we don't like to do that to our kids. If you love your children, you don't want to have to make things any harder than they are. And if you are a parent, you probably start with a warning. You probably, hey, don't, don't do that. Or I told you to do this. And if they don't listen, it gets a little heavier and a little heavier. Till pretty soon, maybe you have to take something away from them has to be some kind of a, a restriction. You don't do that because you don't like them. You do that because you love them, hoping that they will get the picture and make those changes. That's the heart of Paul in all of this. The people are wondering, to be honest with you, there's, you have the one in an intentional sin, but you have other ones that are just trying to figure, how do I make this Christian walk work? Those of you that are born again, do you remember what it was like when you got saved trying to figure out, do I stay at my job? I remember I worked construction 
And, and it, you know, gosh, it was tough. Everybody there spoke the way I used to, with lousy language. Everybody was always making dirty jokes. And it was like I was getting convicted by the Holy Spirit. And it was very hard for me to continue on in that job. My wife was an anesthesiologist, that's a big word, anesthesiologist aide in a hospital. And it was the same way there amongst the doctors and the people. And so we both had to sit down and ask the Lord, Lord, what, what do we do? I wouldn't advise this until you have another job, but we both quit our jobs. It was like the, the conviction was so strong that, and of course, Becky, if you know Becky, she got a job right away. And for me, I'm not as pretty as she is, so I didn't get a job right away. It took a while for me to be able to, to get a job. And uh, as a result of that, there were a lot of painful things. We had to move in with, with my mom, and boy, that just didn't work well. I love my mom, but uh, it's almost like I had two wives, and I would never recommend that either. But it was very, very tough. We lost everything. So we had to move in there and said to start letting God rebuild our life one spiritual brick at a time. Because prior to this time, we had built our life. We had built our life. We did what we thought was right, what we wanted to do. And now that we'd committed our life to Jesus, God began to rebuild our life. But it's painful. It's, it's not pleasant to mature. How many of us, and no show of hands, but how many of you have ever thought, man, I wish I could go back to being a kid? I mean, not, not, the, not that kid. <laughs> not, not the, I'm talking about, with my little granddaughter, she was with us this weekend, and I just, I just love the sweet innocence of young children. They're just so, there's such a purity to them. And you think, gosh, back then, you didn't worry about rent. You didn't worry about much of anything. And you believed things that later you found out weren't true, but you lived in this world and you had people that loved you and people protected you. Growing up is tough. Facing life in general is tough. Okay, so let's start with verse one. He's saying singleness is a good thing. Look at verse one. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Notice Paul is saying that it's good, not better. Now, when he's talking about touching a woman, it's inappropriately. You got to remember, back in these times, things were very, very rigid, very, very structured. So, he's saying that it's good. Why does he say it's good? Well, I'm going to give you 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. He says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, who was single. He says, But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and one in another. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. So Paul's opinion, and he makes it, he's going to say here later, that it's his opinion, not, not the law, not the law of God, but he's saying that it is, it is his opinion. Because he feels that being single frees him up to be able to do more things in service to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35, he illuminates this a bit more. He says, but I want you to be without care. 
He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. Boy, wouldn't that be nice if that was always true, but it's not always true. How he may please the Lord in verse 33, but he who is married, he cares about the things of this world. How he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. How many of you have honeydew lists? Oh, come on, I know you guys. Maybe not a physical list, but you've got it, you've got it up here, right? And it's not just the honeydew, it's not just male, it's female. You guys have honeydew lists, too, on a regular basis. Clean the house, do the dishes, do the laundry, do the this, do the that. Make sure that the kids have a lunch. Make sure that the kids actually wear clothes when they go to school in the morning. And shoes. And all, you, know, you, have, you have these lists. Now, if you were single, a lot of those would disappear. If you're single and you live by yourself, if the house is a mess, who cares as long as you don't have anybody over, right? It's, it's not that big of a deal. How many men, when they're single, they go, and they don't own a home, they just go to the neighbors and mow their yards just for fun. They mow their yards because it's their house and they need to mow their yards. There's just a lot of things on a regular basis that we do as we should for our spouse. That's what he's saying. We're concerned about how we might please them. And so it should bring out of us things that maybe are not even normal for us, but it's spiritual. It's the right thing to be able to do for that spouse. And Paul is saying that if you're single, you have a little bit more freedom. You find that it's even difficult to skip a meal if you're married. Wives, if you just wanted to skip a meal... What do you think the rest of the family would say? <laughs> you know, it's dinner time. Sorry, guys, I'm not hungry. So I'm going to skip a meal. Even the guys. And, and I can't be the only one that sometimes you've eaten when you weren't hungry just because it was an honorable thing to do. It was fixed. Somebody put a lot of time and effort into that meal. And maybe you weren't extremely hungry. But you went ahead and ate. This is, this is kind of what Paul is talking about. You know, you can't, you can't just get up and go to Jack in the Box at 2 in the morning and get something to eat or QT or wherever it is. If you're single, you can do that, right? You wake up, you can't sleep, you, ah, I'm going to go get a Mountain Dew so I can stay awake a little bit longer. You can do that if you want to. You don't have to have vegetables if you don't want them. You can eat burgers and fries and whatever else you wish to do. But that all changes. It says here that as a married person, you have to use the world a lot more. You got to go engage in a lot of things in the world in order to be able to make them, to make that work. Okay? Now, 
Single life. He says single life is good as long as it is celibate. No sex. Now in today's world, you say that and people look at you like you're nuts. You know, you're crazy. Everybody does that. And what I'm amazed at is how it's changed and flip-flopped so much. It used to be the males were aggressive. Not, I, I don't think the males have changed. I think they're still aggressive. But a lot of the, the, the gals are really pretty aggressive too. So when you put that together, you have a very fallen world. So he's saying it's better to be single because you can serve the Lord, but you, you, we need to know that what he's saying in there is single and celibate not single and sleeping around. Because from the Bible's perspective, sex outside of marriage is plain and simple, classified as sin. Now, please understand, when I use the word sin, it carries a heavy connotation to it. And it should, because sin kills. But so many times we feel that one sin is worse than another sin. Sin is sin. You guys remember the old term, missing the bullseye, the archery term, missing the bullseye. If you miss the bullseye, it doesn't matter that the wind was blowing, it doesn't matter what excuse we use, you just, you missed it. And of course, the bullseye is Jesus. So, I guess what I want to, what I want to say there is that if you've, if you've blown it, you can still get it right. God can still forgive, God can patch things up and you can move on with your life but not everybody has that gift of celibacy he's going to go into this in more detail in a moment but he's basically saying is God has gifted you with the ability to stay pure and you use this gift to serve the Lord it's a wonderful thing but in 1 Corinthians 7 9 but if they cannot Exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now, do not use that the way it first comes across. Well, I'm burning inside, so i got to go find somebody to marry. I've seen that. i watched it. I've watched a couple get married for those reasons. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if it's not your gift to remain celibate, if it's not your gift to be single, then... Take a spouse, but the right way, the right way. Falling in love, having an engagement, getting married, doing the things the right way. Okay, so, Paul is for, and I know this is not going to be popular, but it's the truth. Paul and the Lord are for heterosexual, monogamous marriage. And again, I know that that's uh, not all-inclusive, but once again, please don't hate me. I didn't write it. I didn't write it. So if if there's a problem with that, you've got to go and ask the Lord why there's a problem with that. There is a, we were talking about this the other day, and you guys have heard me use this. They did a, a, a test of school children. And uh, they took the fence down. They had a, a fence around the playground, which they normally do, right? 
And the kids all started playing about 20 feet away from where the fence used to be. They would play in the center of that playground, but they wouldn't go out to where the fence fence was because they didn't feel safe. They put the fence back up. The, The kids played on the fence. They went all the way to the fence. They're playing all around the perimeter. And you know the reason why? They felt safe. This keeps us safe, and we can play in this playground. As long as we play in this playground, we're safe. And we have the blessings of the Lord. Should we choose to play outside of that playground, that has already been decided by the Lord. We play outside of that, then it's sin. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 Through six, it says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection that's due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and to prayer. And then come together so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Okay? So Paul's saying, this is what I recommend. This is what, I, what, what you, you, I would be happy if you would do. But it's not a commandment. God hasn't said this, but I'm telling you this. Now, I want you to notice too that it says, because of sexual, sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, not somebody else's. And let each woman have her own husband, not somebody else's. Okay? That's extremely important. So, there are some times when sex is used as a manipulative tool in a marriage. Shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be there. On either case, from the husband or the wife, it should not be used as a manipulative tool. Because basically, if you follow it up the chain of command, it's basically saying, I'm in control. God's not. I will decide what I will do and what I won't do. Not God. So it's, it shouldn't be used as a manipulative tool. On either case, because it puts the other spouse in a weird position. It puts him in a weird spot. Because they love their spouse. They want that affection. They want that attention. They want that to go to the spouse. That's normal. But the spouse is saying, no way. You didn't mow the yard. You didn't do the dishes. You, didn't, you weren't hungry last night. Remember, we all had to fix our own meal because you didn't, you didn't fix a meal. That puts them in a weird spot. Because we all need to be loved. We all need to be needed. So that creates a hole in the other person's heart. And on both cases, male or female, if that lasts very long, there can be wondering eyes. Is it right? No. But it's just truth. It happens. So, 
Paul's telling us, be kind to each other. Love each other. Okay. Ephesians 5 gives us a beautiful picture and the privilege and the obligation of marriage. We won't have time this morning, but if you want to go back into Ephesians chapter 5 and read that as far as a, a marriage goes. And, and he gives the example of Jesus and the church. Husband is supposed to give his life to his wife like Jesus gave his life to the church. But I believe it's both ways. Women also supposed to give their life to their husbands like Jesus gave his life to the church. And what did he do? He gave it all. He gave it all. There is lots of miscommunication in a marriage. There's miscommunication. That's one of the biggest problems in, in even in uh, uh, commerce, even in business, even in corporate structure. Com- uh, uh, communication is one of the hardest things to do. Pastor Dan, I've told him many, many times, I'd rather you write me three times and tell me the same thing than never get one. Right? I'd rather hear it three times than not hear it at all. And it's kind of the same thing in a marriage. There needs to be the communication. But not just, I have to back up. I was going to say not just communication. But yeah, it is true communication when there's an exchange. Not the cold, you don't exist to me. Right? The person's hurting. The person's trying to talk. The person wants to tell them what's going on. And they tell them. And the other person's just, That's not communication. There needs to be that open communication. That needs to be one of the things we realize. The covenant that we made was to uh, treat that other person with love and respect and dignity. You're going to have bumps. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have things that are, are tough. My guess is that some folks, even on the way to church this morning, probably, that seems to be a, a, a place where that happens because the enemy doesn't want you to hear the word of God, right? And so there's always something. It's either with the spouse or the kids. You know, I tried to get him out of the house. They wouldn't get out of the kids. That's why he has no shoes on in Sunday school because he wouldn't listen to me. Uh, and that was the husband. I'm just kidding. Um, but you get the idea. A lot of times there's just not that open communication that needs to be there. In Ephesians, it tells us to submit ourselves one to another. And again, guys, don't use this submission junk on your wife. Well, if you were a good wife, you'd just submit to me. Well, what does that mean? Well, you're just supposed to submit to me. Not if you're a jerk. Well, let me take that back. If you're submitting as unto the Lord, then good on you. But what I'm saying is that submission is a two-way street. If husbands don't treat their wife as though they're intelligent human beings, why would they want to submit to us? We're supposed to submit to them. They have ideas that never enter into our head. They have feelings that you and I don't have. They have a perception sometimes. They pick up things that you and I never pick up. We're just, we're just not attuned to it. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you're talking to people and you leave and your wife says, well, you were pretty, pretty curt to them. Or did you know that so-and-so said hi to you? And you're going, ah, that didn't happen. Oh, yeah, I did. If we don't listen to that, we continue to do the same thing. If we listen to that, we change. We go, you know what? This person that God put in my life is extremely valuable because they make us better together because they can see things I can't. They can hear things that I can't. We each have our gifts, but you put those together. See, a lot of times in a marriage, you try to change the other person. You get inside of a marriage, you realize they don't put the toilet seat down. Have you seen your vanity, ladies, lately? Have you seen how messy that vanity is? No, I'm just, I'm not justifying. I'm just saying, he does things different than you're going to do. You're going to do things different than he does. Is that all bad? No, in fact, sometimes it's a, it's a real plus. But treat the other person with respect and with dignity. If you belittle them, if you treat them as though they're unintelligent, if you treat them as though you're better than them, if you treat them as though you're their Lord, why, why would anybody respect that? And it goes both ways. Okay. Marriage and divorce. Is divorce an acceptable option? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So adultery is the only provision for divorce besides the death of the life or the death of, of the partner. In uh, 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine through 40, it says, uh, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. That's an important part. But she's happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also, was that me? And I think I also have the spirit of God. So the innocent party is uh, free to be able to marry again without sin. Now you go, well, I've messed that up. Is God always going to be mad at me? Am I, am I always going to be cursed because I've messed that up? And maybe I've even messed it up more than, more than once. That's where our loving and gracious God comes in and kicks in for us. Now, I know that there are people who treat that as a greater sin than any of the rest of them. But that's not the way God looks at it. It's a sin. You miss the mark. But God aligns us again the way we're supposed to be. So if you come to the Lord and you come in repentance and you say, God, I want to live my life to your honor, to, your honor, to give you honor and glory, that's, that's forgiven. That can be forgiven. To think that God cannot forgive a sin, I don't get that. I don't, I, don't, I don't see that in here. He's the great sin forgiver. So, if you found yourself in that spot, just repent. Vow to the Lord to make things right the rest of your life and get back up again. 
wipe your, your face off and engage in the things of the Lord again. We live in an imperfect world and we're imperfect people and we make mistakes. We don't always do things the right way. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, it says, Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Now he's changing and saying, this is not just my opinion. This is from the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now why would he say that? We live in such a broken world that we see this and we're going, what? What? This is impossible. No, it's, it's not impossible. He's talking about the fact that reconciliation is the key. Reconciliation is, is what needs to take place. Not just a, it's done. But when it starts to have problems, you get some counseling, you go to, you, you try to find some help so that there can be a restoration that is taking place. The Lord has already commanded in Mark 10, 6 through 10, Malachi 2, 14, and also uh, the, the scriptures that we just quoted in Matthew 5, 25. He's saying as long as there's no adultery involved, involved, it's preferred for a husband and a wife to not separate. Now, do I say you should never separate? That's not what I said. But separation at least before divorce. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you're having trouble, get some help. Everybody has trouble. Get some help. Get some counseling. Separation is the next to the last resort. How are you going to resolve your problems if you're not together? And then that opens doors up for somebody else to come into the picture. And there is always somebody else that will come into the picture. Always. There's always some guy at work that will console you for what you're going through. He's the same animal that he was when he was 18 and he's going to be the same animal at 35 or 40 or 50. But he'll be there to console you and make you feel better. There's always some lady that's there to be able to console you for what you're going through. And that feels good, right? Somebody that'll finally listen. Somebody that'll finally care. Somebody finally cares what you're going through. It's going to be somebody that even treats you you special. Often, the same mistakes are repeated the second time or the third time. My point is this. God would rather us get counseling, work it out. Get counseling and work it out. Now, you might find this to be difficult, but marriage really wasn't designed by God for you to have all your needs met. People say, well, we have irreconcilable differences. Well, the only reason they're irreconcilable is because you guys won't reconcile. Somebody won't forgive. Somebody won't move on or somebody just wants out and they won't, they won't try. So try before it gets there. Try before it gets there. Try to put it together. You have irreconcilable differences? Yes, you have differences. He's going to do things one way, you're going to do them another. But don't try to make each other into your own image. Lord knows there only needs to be one of you. 
And I've seen it. I've seen people semi-succeed at turning the other person into them and they hate them. Then they hate them. They don't, they don't like them. Once they've got them changed into who they think they should be, they don't like them. Because there's things about themselves that they don't like. All right, I know I'm on a soapbox here. Okay, he also adds this, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12 through 16. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Think about that before you marry. Not after you're married. Think about marrying somebody who does not believe in Jesus Christ before you get married. We've been instructed by scriptures not to do that. But he's saying that if you have somebody who is not uh, a believer and they want to stay, don't use that as an excuse because this is what is happening in, in Corinth, right? You're having somebody who's given their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe both of them hadn't received Jesus Christ. One of them gives their life to Jesus Christ and he's asking, well, should I divorce her now? Paul says, no. If she wants to stay with you, then don't divorce her. And the woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Please don't misinterpret that and and have it be just because one in the, in the family is a born-again Christian that all the other ones are just automatically adopted into that Christian family. Christianity is by individual choice. So that unsaved spouse will still have to give their life to Jesus Christ. Those children will still need to give their life to Jesus Christ. You know, sanctified, you can still be cleansed and protected by that other person's prayers for their family, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they've given their life to Jesus Christ. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him go. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? That happens. That happens. But I would like to say this. It's not as frequent as you might believe. There are people who end up getting married once saved and it's not. They're going against what God had planned. But because of their relationship and maybe the walk of the one that says they're a Christian, very loving and kind, the spouse ends up giving their heart to the Lord. Praise God, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. But please, folks, please, and this is, this is, Paul says, it's not Lord, it's just me. I'm just saying, this is me. Find out before you get married. Don't get married banking on that. There's so many people who fall in lust. Not in love, they fall in lust. And then they get married because of that. There are Christians who will make the mistake of marrying somebody who is not a Christian and then later complain about it and try to use it as, a, as an excuse to get out of the relationship. Those of you that are single, just do it the right way. 
You might say, well, I have been single for X amount of time. Well, you got to take that to God. That, that's, that's nobody's fault. That's just the way it is for your life. Well, God hasn't given me a spouse yet. Maybe there's still things you got to work on before God gives somebody else to come into that relationship. It's not a sin to be single. That's what Paul is saying. It's not a sin. And better to be single than miserable by having the wrong person in your life. Okay. Matthew 16, 19. And I will give you the king, excuse me, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Paul is saying, you know, this was my opinion, but he's saying here, Matthew 16, 19 says, Yeah, but the things that you say under the power of the Holy Spirit, they still have power. They still have strength. All right. Again. 1 Peter 3.1, wives likewise be submissive to your husbands. I, we, we've done that. <laughs> okay, let me, let me read the whole thing. Be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And yes, that does happen. But I'm not going to go into that much in depth because um, we've already kind of covered that. But again, marriage has got to be an experience where you and I realize going in, it's not, it's, even though it's given by God, do you know what one of the primary, one of the primary things of a marriage is for? It's to turn you into a servant. Think about that. Might change your mind about whether or not you think you ought to get married right away. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's meant, one of the things it does to you is it teaches you how to not get your way all the time. And it teaches you how to be a servant and serve somebody else for the rest of your life. If you look at it that way and you go in that way, you will never be disappointed. Oh, you have hard times, but you won't be disappointed because you know exactly what you're getting into. If you think you're going to marry and somebody's going to bring you slippers and, and coffee every night or whatever your favorite drink is or, uh, you're, you know, make you comfortable. In other words, uh, what, master, whatever it is that you want, I'm at your service. That ain't going to happen. Nor is it supposed to happen. There are sometimes things in our life that are uh, holdovers, from the way we were raised or the way we watched. I'm speaking to the men right here. I guess it applied to the, the ladies too. But some of the ways we saw maybe our dad treat our mom or our brothers treat their wives. And, and there's some of that old stuff that goes in there. And we're still believing that we're supposed to be the head of the household. And we're supposed to be at times. But what I'm saying is we, we feel like we've got to be the commander in chief You're the chief, but you're the chief servant. Okay, all right. I'm going to close this for now. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, let them walk. He's saying, guys, remain in your calling. 
And so I ordained it in all churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him become, uh, let him not become uncircumcised. Was uh, anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. In other words, it's not the hoops that matters, it's the love of Jesus. All right? Let each man remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called to be a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you could be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman anyway. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. And you know what? Because of time, I'm going to close this up. But here's the thing. You've been set free. Jesus has set you free. Don't put yourself back into bondage. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, you're free. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he says, I've traded in your old life for a brand new one. I've wiped the slate clean and I've paid all your debts and you are a free individual to walk in the freedom that God has given to you. Let us not go back like the dog to the vomit and start eating from it. It was gross at the beginning. It's gross now. Sin isn't going to do any better for us now than it did before we gave our life to Jesus Christ. There may be a a tinge of satisfaction at first, but pretty soon you're going to find out it's as miserable as it was before.